Amen. You may be seated. Our text this morning is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the entirety of the chapter, that is verse 1 through 52. And as I as you're turning there, I'd like to ask you a couple questions to kind of just roll around in your mind. Starting with, have you ever felt that you were losing your grip on reality because of the way that others were treating you? The way that people were speaking to you made you kind of question yourself. Maybe you felt someone was retaliating against you for what you did, and you confronted them about it only to find that they say you're crazy and don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Right? That, that kind of thing. Well, this is the kind of thing that happened all throughout the ministry of Jesus. As we read in our text this morning, I want you to look out for all the ways that manipulation is taking place in the toxic environment that it breeds also. Just just kind of look out for that kind of thing. And what you'll see is that the social confusion uh, confusion runs deep at this festival that we're going to look at. The festival, festival of booths is what it is. And the crowds don't think uh, – uh, these crowds don't – know what to think of Jesus, and the establishment isn't making it any easier. So the Jews are kind of the establishment. They're not making this easy for these people to understand who Jesus is. And what they need is someone to sort out these issues and offer them a right judgment. And what we'll find is that Jesus actually offers this to them. He offers them the right judgment in a way forward in light of this confusion. So again, the text is John chapter 7. We're going to read the entirety of it. It is long, so please bear with me. These are the words of God, church. Let's give attention to them. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast, or now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he sees... Uh, if he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself uh, to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. For the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who, his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who has sent, uh, who has sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered him, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you could circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, the man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well? <clears throat> Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. 
Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does not our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach such a large section of scripture, I pray that you would give us your spirit to have a right judgment about it. As we look to your word, Lord, I pray that it would not just be a surface reading, but Lord, that we might go deep into what you are meaning, not just in the text generally, but for this church this morning. I pray that you would speak to each and every individual here to lead us in the way that we should go. I pray that your son Jesus would be glorified and the, the, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. We pray that they would all be pleasing to you, um, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So in this text here, you have a conglomeration of confused and divided peoples being swayed by the religious establishment. You can see free open, free and open thought is not being tolerated. It says in verse 13, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about Jesus. It's hush-hush. So the establishment wanted Jesus silenced because he was disrupting the religious currents and causing people to be divided. So they thought maybe we should just shut him down. 
So in the name of unity and scriptural loyalty, they attempted to stomp out this dissenter and anyone who might follow him. Don't speak of him, they were saying. And you can imagine the emotional angst that would come with such a uh, suppressive environment. It's, it's toxic, isn't it? It's, it's confusing. What is going on? It's almost too much to handle on your own. That's the state that these people were probably in. And if you were there, you would probably start to question your own sanity. Right? Your, your religious officials are saying, don't listen to this guy. But you feel something in your heart kind of pulling you towards him. And you make yourself sick and tired trying to wrestle with the evidence, figuring out who this guy really is. If only there was a solution to bring clarity to this complex situation. And the point of this whole chapter is that Jesus actually does offer a solution. To those feeling emotionally drained, Jesus offers a drink, doesn't he? The drink is a gift. It's not an action. And Jesus says that everyone who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John says that he was speaking about the Spirit. So the gift of the Spirit is the solution that we see in this text. And what I want to do is kind of break this down. We've already kind of seen the problem, and we've even seen the solution. But I want to dig deeper into the problem and the solution, what that practically means uh, in this context and also our context, what that means for us. So the main problem is that relational and societal order is not as simple as it seems, is it? As you look around in your, in your relationships and in the context of your society, it's not always as clear-cut as, as you might think it is. I originally intended to, to kind of walk you through all these examples in this text and to show you how manipulative the people surrounding Jesus were, how they make it so complex. And in this text, we have examples of conspiracy theories, right? People think maybe the, the authorities actually do know who this guy is. Maybe he, they know he's the Messiah and they're not telling us. Maybe they're holding back on us. So we have conspiracy theories. We have spiritual abuse. We have toxic peer pressure and many other disordered agendas. But I've decided to just focus on one of them specifically because it's something that our present culture talks a lot about. And that is the fact that in this text, Jesus gets gaslit. Have you heard that term before? Gaslighting. Everyone's talking about gaslighting. Well, what is gaslighting? Gaslighting, if you want a, a good classic definition, is, it is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Right? They wonder if what they were, were thinking is even accurate to reality. They're, they're wondering if they are even sane. So people do this by uh, making others question the, what they think about a situation. So how was Jesus gaslit in this text? Well, in this text, if you look at it in verse 19 and 20, you can start to see this. And I'll just walk you through it. Verse 19 says this. Verse 19 says, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Right? And you, you can see it right there. Jesus confronts the Jews in verse 19 and tells them, has not Moses given you the law? And yet none of you keeps it. So he's making an accusation there. And then they say, uh, and then he says, why do you seek to kill me? So if we break this down, just think of it this way. Jesus enters his ministry dropping some hard truths, right? We talked about this last week. He's offending everyone. Everyone's ticked off when Jesus speaks, and especially the Jews, so much so that they're ready to kill him. 
So this, this offends the Jews, and Jesus is accused of all kinds of things. But at its basic level, we could say that Jesus is accused of being a lawbreaker. That, that's the, the accusations that the Jews say. Jesus is breaking the law. And there's the confrontation. You've seen it. Jesus doesn't shy away from them. He says, no, you are breaking the law. So you see, Jesus says something, and they accuse Jesus of breaking the law. And Jesus says, no, you're breaking the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So he turns the situation back around and says, no, you guys are the problem. I am not the problem. And, and, and you know it is what Jesus is saying. He says, you know this deep down. You're trying to kill me. Why else would you be re retaliating like this, trying to kill me? And what do they do? There's the, the confrontation. Jesus, he doesn't push away or doesn't shy away from it. And then the Jews respond in verse 20 by saying this, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Right? Do you see what they're doing to him? You're crazy. What are you talking about? No one's trying to kill you, Jesus. Do you see anyone here with spears or daggers? No one's trying to kill you. You're delusional. You have a skewed view of reality. No one's out for you. The world is not against you, Jesus. You are, this is just all in your head. You are nuts. Now let me ask you something, church. Was Jesus crazy? Was he out of his mind? Was he wrong for thinking that they were actually after him? Of course not. Uh, verse 1 tells us very clearly, why wouldn't Jesus go into Judea? Because they were seeking to kill him. And Jesus knew that. So the, the reality was is that the Jews actually were trying to kill Jesus. Jesus knew this, and he accused them of it and confronted it and pointed it out. And they said, no, you're crazy. You're insane. So the Jews are intentionally suppressing their inner motives and, and accusing Jesus of being crazy because he sees through their outward appearance. They were seeking to kill him. They just weren't going to be caught in their lies and deception. So they're denying it. And this is what gaslighting is intended to do. It's psychologically manipulating people into questioning their own sanity. And I chose to look at this example because it sums up well the toxic and confusing environment that this crowd was dealing with. And perhaps maybe what some of you are dealing with. You find yourself in relationships and situations where it's just really hard to, to kind of filter out what is going on because people are complex, aren't they? And some people have bad agendas. Some people are actually like the Jews and they do gaslight you. So you, you understand this kind of scenario, and what I want to try to do is give you a solution to these problems. But let's dig a little bit deeper into why this sums up well, why this gaslighting example sums up well the complex scenario. Well, it does so because it presents a scenario in which both parties look at the same thing and they come to different conclusions, right? You're both looking at the same situation and saying different things. And in this case, it was the Messiahship of Jesus. But you may be dealing with other matters uh, where it would really just be helpful if there was a mediator, right? You're in this conflict with a, another person and you just don't have a solution. And it would just be nice if there was a right judgment to come in. Someone or something to give a right judgment and not just judge by the surface, not by a, a, a appearance of judgment, but a right judgment. So do you see the issue here? The issue is a matter of reality. Who is actually viewing the situation rightly? Are the Jews right or is Jesus right? Because there can only be one. Right? There's only one true reality here. There can't be true, two truths to this. And this is where I'm going to push up against relativism and postmodernism where they say, well, you're both true. No, they're not. There's only one truth here and there's only one way to settle the matter. But look at the way that they try to settle the matter, which isn't the right way. The Jews appeal – well, it's not necessarily the wrong way, but it just doesn't solve the, the issue completely. Just notice this. So the Jews appeal to Scripture to say that Jesus can't be the Messiah 
because it doesn't say the Messiah will come from Galilee. So the Jews use the law or the scripture to argue their case. The people appeal, appeal to scripture or the law to say when Christ comes, will he do more miracles than this? Right. So the, the people are using scripture or the law to, to argue their case. And then Jesus says his teaching is from God and appeals to the scripture or the law as his standard for how he should behave on the Sabbath. He's saying, no, this is actually the right reading of the law. Do you see the problem? In other words, they're all looking at the same situation and they're all using scripture or the law as their standard. And yet they're still divided. They can all say, yep, we're looking at the same thing. And they can even say, yep, and the scriptures are standard. The laws are standard. And yet they're still divided. And what this highlights is that we need more than a law to save us. The law does not save us. Let me ask you this. Does the fact that we have a law in the United States keep us from disagreement? No way. No way. Does the fact that most Christians believe in the Bible keep us from disagreement? That we can all say, yep, we believe that. Does that keep us from disagreement? No, it's, it's still there. We need more than just a law, more than just a standard to save us and to bring right order. Think about it this way. Court cases are not won simply by saying that we agree with the law, are they? When someone takes someone to court, they're, they're only won when the judge actually weighs both sides who are both arguing from the law that this is the right judgment. So the judge is the one that settles it in the end. And, and only one party is declared to be right in the end. They're not both declared to be right. But even then, how does the judge make this call? How does right judgment come to a man? And this is what Jesus hits on. This is the whole point of this sermon. Jesus hits on this very issue in verse 24. He says this. He says, do not judge by appearances. But judge with right judgment. Now the point to be taken here is that the law is powerless to save. It just shows us the appearance of right judgment, but it doesn't give us the application of it. Right? There's a way of looking at the law that just shows us the right standard. Yes, we can look at the law. I keep pointing to there because that's the Ten Commandments. Yes, you can see the law. Yes, you can see that's the appearance of it. But we need something deeper to actually apply it. Just because we as Christians say we have the law, we have the scripture, that doesn't make us obedient, does it? It takes something else to go further. So not only is relational and societal order not as simple as it seems, but it's not actually even ordered by its laws because the laws are powerless to save. The laws don't actually do anything. We are the ones that do something. Laws don't give people right judgment. They give people the appearance of right judgment. You see the difference? And this is the central problem that Jesus alludes to in verse 37. Look with me at verse 37 when Jesus says this. And this is the pinnacle of Jesus' speech and his sermon and his teaching. Verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. You can kind of imagine him just standing up and crying out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John steps in and says, and this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So what do we have here is Jesus saying that there's this thirst. Now, the, the, that's the central problem is, is that this is a thirst that these people have. But the thirst that Jesus is getting at is not a literal thirst, is it? He's not saying as if, if, if everyone is physically parched and you're just uh, wanting to, to get a drink and I have all these water balls, bottles for you. That's, that's not what he's saying. Like, you're just thirsty and I got all the water over here. That's not what he's saying. It's something deeper than this. No, he's speaking to a people who are spiritually parched. 
right? They are emotionally thirsty and psychologically all dried up. The people surrounding him are all divided, uh, divided about who he is, and that renders them thirsty. Why? Because some think he's a good man. Others think he's deceiving people. And many don't even know what to think because the religious climate is so oppressive that they can't even – the news is saying this, and your church is saying this, and then this person is saying this. But if you actually try to bring it up, then everyone's like, no, we can't talk about that. right? You find yourself in these kind of situations, so you just wonder, how am I even going to sort through this? What is it that's actually going to give me the right judgment? So this renders these people spiritually thirsty, and sometimes your situations, it leaves you spiritually thirsty, and Jesus sees this. He sees that need, so he offers you and he offers them a solution to give them right judgment in this spiritually confusing situations. And the solution that Jesus gives, he says, is hearts flowing with living water. You're going to have a heart flowing with living water. And John, as I said, comments that he's speaking about the Spirit here. That's the Holy Spirit that he gives to believers who believe in him. In other words, everyone who believes in Jesus has this Holy Spirit. And I want that to be emphasized, and everyone hears that this morning, because some people teach that if you have Jesus, then you can also get the Spirit at another time. No, when you believe in Jesus, your heart will be flowing out with living waters. Everyone has it. So you'll get this Spirit. This is the solution that Jesus gives. And we often forget that this is the primary role of the Spirit as he interacts with creation, that the the Spirit is the solution. And if we could sum it all up uh, in one word, I spoke about this earlier in Sunday school, if we could sum the Holy Spirit up in one word, one word might be order, right? The Holy Spirit brings order to chaotic situations, to complex situations. Think about in the beginning, the earth was uh, without form and void, and the Spirit hovered over the waters in creation. It brought order to that darkness. It brought light to that. At Pentecost, the promise was to come and reverse the disunity of the people that started at the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 11, if you remember that, God confused their languages because they were trying to build up a nation under their own name, under the name of man. So what does God do in Acts 2? Well, Acts 2, God united their languages with tongues where they're all hearing the the same thing, the gospel, in their own language to create a unified people, an ordered society of God. This was at the coming of the Holy Spirit. right? When the Spirit came and empowered believers to be unified together, to have order among the church. And Paul reminds us of this truth in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says this, speaking of the church. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to, catch this language, drink of one spirit. All Christians were made to drink of one spirit. Interestingly, Paul uses the same analogy that Jesus uses about the spirit, to to drink of it, spiritually drinking. That's what it means to be filled with the spirit when you believe in Jesus. You are drinking of this. And this drinking of the spirit actually becomes the key to the unity of the body, to the order of the church. How does a Jew and a Greek find agreement with such diverse societal backgrounds? Think about the background of a Jew and a Greek and all the pagan stuff on the Greek side and all all the the, the Jewish Israelite worship over here. And then Jesus says, you know what, we're going to bring these together into one church, one body. And what brings the order between these two people? It's the spirit. The spirit is what brings this order to where these people can actually be part of the same church and be able to move forward. The spirit brings order. And again, consider this. The law wasn't enough to free the people. 
They needed something more. If, if you would turn quickly in your Bibles to Romans 8, I want you to see this uh, more deeply about this contrast between the law and the spirit. Romans 8, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. And if you don't want to turn there, I'm going to read the whole passage. Uh, but Romans 8, 2 through 4 says this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I want you to see something very important here. Paul is saying the same thing as Jesus in this text. The living water springing up from your heart is the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. Right? That, that obedience where we're actually given the spirit to obey that law, that towards being fulfilled in us, we're actually able to carry out the things that we've been called to. This is the right judgment that Jesus speaks about in verse 24. It's not an external judgment based on appearances. That would be a judgment of the flesh. He's speaking of an internal judgment that's able to see past the show. The living water is the law being applied through you. You are living out and you are embodying the law. The law cannot save, but a person fulfilling the law can save. Right? That's how you live out the law and your salvation. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That willing and doing is through the work of the Holy Spirit where he embodies the law through you. And you are actually given the power to obey and to live out the ordered society that God calls us to. Now consider how good news this is to a people who feel like their hearts kind of been wrung out like a sponge. Right? They're dry, they're parched, and drained emotionally. But Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you come to me in faith, I'm going to give you the spirit. And this spirit is going to make your heart uh, completely reversed in your situation. You're not going to be dry and thirsty. You're going to be welling up with life, living waters flowing out of you. Instead of your heart being drained and thirsty, I'm going to give you a river flowing out, a river of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. So how does receiving the spirit actually fix this problem of disorder? How does how does it fix things to, to be a believer in Jesus and have the Spirit? Well, when the Spirit indwells you, it gives you the guidance that you need to navigate life's most complex situations. The Spirit allows us to judge not by appearances, but with right judgment. And what this looks like is it allows us, like Jesus, to be surrounded by taunting abusers and remain full of the Spirit and make wise decisions. You can be gaslit, like Jesus, and call out the hypocrisy instead of running to a quiet place, breaking down and crying and questioning your own insanity, or your sanity, right? Because you can, you can be led to this if you aren't being full of the spirit where you just feel like a crazy person when you get smashed by that manipulative person. But the spirit changes that. If the law is the only thing between you and an evil man or woman, guess what? That man or woman, that evil man or woman is actually going to triumph. They are going to win. That evil man will try it because he will find a way to twist the law and use it to his own advantage, right? So the law doesn't save you. The law doesn't actually fix the problem. This is why Jesus says in verse 18 and 19, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, right? He's using the law in a different way. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and there is no falsehood. And that's why he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law, right? He exposes them. 
And it's at that point where Jesus exposed them that they're trying to kill him. And what do they do? They gaslight him. He says, you guys are trying to kill me. No, we're not. We're not trying to kill you. You're crazy. No. So the evil man says, you're delusional. If you believe him, then you know what? That renders you powerless. If you believe that evil man, you actually become powerless. His twisting of the law becomes what forces you to do what he wants you to do. So that's why we need something to push back against that, because it will render you powerless if you believe his lie. It'll shackle you into his slavery. That person will make you his slave. But you are called to expose the evil and speak the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And Jesus came to set the slaves free by what? Giving them the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is good news, church. The spirit comes to give you that that gut leading, that spirit filled intuition to stand up against extremely hard men and women who would otherwise crush you in manipulation. The spirit gives the spineless a backbone, the introverted right words to say in the moment and the passive man or woman, the guts that it takes to take action in the right pivotal moment. That's what the spirit does. It empowers you to live that kind of free life to where you're not living a life according to other people, but according to God, according to the spirit, where you're glorifying him and not yourself. You're not just trying to take advantage of people. You're trying to live out your life in a well-ordered society the way that God called us to. You're trying to obey and keep his commandments. So, church, as we close this morning, I want to leave you with this. It's a warning and encouragement in light of this text. The warning is that a life lived devoid of the spirit leads to manipulation. It leads to self-glory. It leads to lies. And eventually it'll lead to murder. Right? That's what happened in the, the scriptures. These people eventually killed Jesus and they killed many of the followers of Jesus. And guess what? Manipulators may even kill you because if you're a follower of Jesus and the world hates you, it's going to hate you too. And because uh, it hates you just like Jesus, uh, they're going to be after you. And if they're after you, then you have to expect some really scary things coming ahead of you, right? So because if you are a a spirit-filled man or woman, you're going to walk in the steps of Jesus. And the world hated him. Why? Because he testified that their works were evil. And a spirit-filled man or woman is going to do the same thing. It's going to turn you and render you into a truth teller. And you know what? The world hates those. The world hates truth tellers. So you can expect pushback. You can expect uh, hardship in in, in, in this kind of world that we live in. That's actually not the good good news. The good news of this text actually isn't that if you receive the spirit that you're going to have an easy life. I'm I'm sorry, but that's just not – that's not the the, the good news that we get in scripture. The good news is that when we uh, believe in Jesus and the spirit comes, he sets you free from that internal turmoil that makes you feel like a slave. Right? The spirit comes to give you that. You don't have to live a life of feeling like a, a passive, cowardly, delusional slave constantly questioning yourself. Because that's the, the reality that we can start to live in in a world where people are trying to take advantage of us and manipulate us. You can live a fulfilled life of joy that allows you to rest in an inner peace. It's that life abundant that Jesus promised that we could live in. Your life isn't going to be easy in, in regards to the world. They're still going to push up against you. They might even kill you just like they killed Jesus. But the hope that we have is in the resurrection and also the, the reality that we have right now is that you can have an inner peace. Right now, you can be confident in who God made you to be and who God is. And you can know that with a right judgment that allows you to say, you're wrong. 
You are absolutely wrong. I don't care what you say. You might even be trying to kill me. And when they gaslight you, you say, we're not against you. You just, you're crazy. The world's not against you. You're just being woe is me. You might say, well, whatever. I know it's true. And the spirit is the one that gives you the power to say that and to stand up and not just to go and uh, go to your closet and cry. Because sometimes we feel like that. Right? So spiritually tired and thirsty from a spirit devoid life, Jesus invites you, come. Come and have a drink. If you're thirsty, if you feel wrung out like some of these people, you don't know what's going on in the world, and you don't know what to think, Jesus says, come. And he'll give you the spirit. And the spirit will make your heart like a well flowing up with living waters. You're going to be able to obey. You're going to be able to keep the commandments of God. You're going to have a backbone. The coward, he's going to be able to stand up against what is wrong. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so in need of the gifts that you offer to us. Sometimes we don't even recognize how bad we need them. But Lord, I pray that you would work on the hearts of each and every individual this morning to help us to see our need. Help us to see that we truly are thirsty. Help us to see that we need your Holy Spirit to give us strength to do what's right. To give us more than just a law that shows us what is right, Lord, but that you might give us your spirit that empowers us to do what is right. Father, we thank you that we have this. When we believe in Jesus, you give us that gift of the Holy Spirit.